0: Welcome to Arbor Bridge Church's weekly podcast with your teacher, Daryl Canty. Arbor Bridge Church exists to bridge the gospel and our community by connecting people to Jesus and each other. Visit us online at ArborBridgechurch.com. If you've ever been at the at the airport, um, now you can't you can't go back to the to the uh to turn into the terminal anymore if you've ever been at the airport now when people come down off the stairs there's often people waiting for them off the stairs and when you when you're standing there and people are excited to see their loved one you know sometimes i'm there and they're all excited and i'm kind of standing there and it's it's a little awkward and funny thing is when they are excited to see their loved one i'm not that excited why not I don't know them. That's not who I was waiting for. That's not who I was waiting for. Chris and your house are just singing. This is the one we've been waiting for. Maybe, maybe the reason that it's hard for us to get excited about Christmas for any other reason other than presents is because we're we're not waiting for Jesus. We're not on the edge of our seats waiting for the Lord to come through those doors. But when you are waiting for him, when he does show up, it's good. It's good. So um, we began this series uh, that we're in um, by talking a little bit about how Jesus identifies who we are. And um, when I was a kid, often we would pretend. um, We would pretend to 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 be characters in our favorite um, TV shows or our favorite movies. And so sometimes when we we would get into this whole thing that we were playing, and another kid would come up and he would ask or she would ask if she could play too. And sometimes we would ignore them and continue in our. We'd be in our zone. We'd be, we'd be in our characters. So, for example, if we were if we were being we were, we were playing Star Wars, everybody had their character, and of course, no one could be the same character. You had to have everyone had to have different characters. And so, some kid who would walk up, they would say, "Hey, can I play too?" They would be on the outside of what we were doing until you know we assigned them a role. <laughs> until we said, "Okay, you can play. You have to be Darth Vader." Um, and then at least even if you had to be the bad guy, at least then you knew, okay, I understand who I am, and now I know how I should act or what I should say, and if we were acting out scenes from the movie or whatever, it, it gave you ideas about what you know what your character was or who, what you know what you should do, what you should do. So we began this series with Jesus identifying who we are, and because of that, now we have some idea about what our role is what we should do, what we should say, how we should act. So when Jesus was born, um, there were some, um, some regular guys feeding sheep. And, and they're, um, they're on the outside of this very important moment happening in the universe. And the angels come and invite them into the inside of it. They point them to where to go. And when, the, when they come down, they're living these quiet, humble lives. When, they come, when the angels come down, it says that they shone With the glory of the Lord. And when we think glory, we think light, which is probably appropriate, but it's better than that. It's better than that. The glory of the Lord is is his beauty, is his awesomeness, is his greatness. And so this is what happened. And the angel said, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David, who is Christ." the Lord. A Savior who is Christ the Lord. After seeing and hearing that message, the shepherds get up and go to find baby Jesus. I had to pause and just say this. When you read it, it's super interesting. The angels come down. There's all this glory. The angels are singing. And then, the shepherds, after that happens, the shepherds go, we should go see Jesus. And I think it's really, really interesting that all that happens with the angels and the glory and the and when that's over, the angel, the, the shepherds aren't talking about the angels at all. They said, let's go see this baby. I think that's powerful. I think that's awesome. Later, when Jesus uh, is an adult, he makes it clear when he, about who he is when he says this. He says, I am the light of the world. And when you meet the light of the world, you walk away immediately knowing who you are and what you must do. Listen to this. It says, when they had seen them, they spread the word concerning what they had been told them about this child. So they, the angels come and they say, go see the light of the world. And when they see the light of the world, they immediately know what to do. They immediately know what to do. Is this. And Jesus confirms it later. He says this. You are the light of the world. You are the lie of the world. And now knowing that, now you know how to act. Now you know what to say. Now you know what to do. Now you know how you you have to be in your best moments and in your worst moments. Now you know. So when we began this series, we began with Jesus identifying who we are. And now we know who we are. We know how we should act. We know how we should act. We know what we have to do. We have to love. We have to love. So I asked my friend, um, Bree, uh, she's uh, my coworker and uh, my friend, uh, she's our Bridge Kids coordinator, to come and, um, and share with us uh, more about love. Take away, Bree. I think you're... Put that on there. Good morning, everybody. Uh, I am the Bridge Kids
1: coordinator here. Um, But when I am not being your Bridge Kids coordinator, I am your friendly neighborhood Bible nerd. And I want to come in and sort of expand a little bit more on this progression that we've been working on. So as we change our attitude to gratitude, we know that gratitude opens the door for hope and that when hope is fulfilled, it brings us joy. And when joy fills us, we overflow. And the thing that we overflow with should be love. But love is a sticky word. We love cats and pizza and our spouses and our friends, and those are not equal things. So What is love? Let's take a dive. We're gonna go. Is this not on? Move that right. Uh, We're gonna take a dive into what love is. So we're going to head into the Bible and look a little bit more into the words that the writers of the Bible use when they're talking about love. The first one is in the Old Testament; is the Hebrew word "ahava." And this word is used to represent the affection that one person shows to another. This could be a parent to a child, love between friends, even the loyalty that a nation has towards another. This word is also used when describing God's affection towards us. When the authors of the Torah write about God and love, They talk about love as a character trait of God, an outward sign that signifies God's identity. And we see this in Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 7 through 8. The Lord did not set his heart on you and choose you because you were more numerous than other nations, For you were the smallest of all nations. Rather, it was simply that the Lord loves you and he was keeping you, keeping the oath that he has sworn to your ancestors. That is why the Lord rescued you with such a strong hand from your slavery and from the oppressive hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. So, God doesn't love us just because it's a duty. God loves us because he holds an affection towards us. He is loyal, always, and he does keep his word. But God's love is not a duty. He wants to love us. And the authors of the Old Testament describe this in an earlier chapter in Deuteronomy. Because he loved your ancestors, he chose to bless their descendants, and he personally brought you out of Egypt with his great display of power. So, not only does God love us, he loves us so much that he's willing to spread that love throughout all of the people that we associate ourselves with. What do we what does this mean? What do we do with this gigantic gift of love that seems to come and never stop and overflow as Jeremiah describes it? Uh, a prophet in the Old Testament, long ago, the Lord said to Israel, I have loved you, my people, with an everlasting love, with an unfailing love. I have drawn you to myself. What do we do with all of that emotion? What do we, how do we respond? Well, in Deuteronomy 10, God is speaking to his people through one of his prophets. And this is how he asks us to respond to him. And now, Israel, what does the Lord, your God, require of you? He requires that you fear the Lord, your God, that you live in a way that pleases him, and that you love him and serve him with all your heart and soul. And you may have heard this Uh, piece of literature spoken in a slightly different way. Uh, If you have studied um, Jewish culture very much, you may know about a prayer that Jews say every morning and evening called the Shema in which this is part of that prayer, which is, hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one and you will love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your strength. And when we when Jesus heard that, he turned and flipped it around. Because what does God, What does living in a way that pleases God look like? Well, Jesus said it this way. That you are to love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your strength. And you are to love your neighbor as yourself. Love for God and love for others are in, an inseparable concepts in Jesus' mind. You cannot fully love God until you fully love others. So what does it look like to love others? Well, the writers of the New Testament use the word agape to describe the love that they are speaking about when they're speaking of Jesus' teachings or to one another in their letters of the New Testament's. But they didn't, use, they didn't use cultural context or literary context to define what love meant. Instead, they used Jesus' life and teachings to define what agape meant. And we're, giving, we're given a great summary of Jesus' teachings in this letter that Paul is writing to a church in Corinth in the first century. And he makes this grandiose statement. If I could speak in all the languages of the earth and of angels, but didn't love others, I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy and I could understand all of God's secret plans and processed all knowledge, and if I had such faith that I could move mountains, but I did not love others— I would be nothing. If I gave everything I had to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it. and if, But if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. Because love is patient and love is kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable. It, does, it keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up. Love never loses faith. It always, it's always helpful, and it endures through every circumstance. That is a tall order. Because this description isn't just what love is, or even who God is, because God is love. No, this is Paul speaking to a group of people who have shown themselves to not be loving, and he is trying to instruct them on how to love. Because all of these are actions that we can commit. Because love is an action, a choice you make to seek others' well-being without expectation of anything in return. Because when we see Jesus' love throughout the Bible, this is how he does it. He does it with his actions, whether it is healing someone, whether it is speaking to marginalized people, whether it's empowering people outside of his group. Jesus does his love with the actions he chooses, especially to people in difficult positions who can't repay you. But Jesus doesn't stop there. That's why his ultimate standard of love is how well you treat your enemy. Not the people that you like, not your spouse. Because those people, even though not always, but usually they're easy to love. You, you know them. You know what they like. You know how to deal with them. No, Jesus is asking us to go further. Because... We have to love our enemies, the people we disagree with, the people that treat us poorly. In the New Testament, Jesus gave examples to his people who were living under the oppressive ruler of the Roman government. They were a minority population occupied by a violent dictator. And he still said, love them. When they come and they slap you across the face or tell you to carry their stuff or take away the money you you had to feed your children. Love them still. Jesus doesn't pull his punches when it comes to what he expects of us because we're given love unfailing, everlasting, overflowing. We have a pool to draw from, and we are expected to do it. In Proverbs 25, uh, we see, if your enemy is hungry, give them food to eat. If they are thirsty, give them water to drink. You will heap burning coals of shame on their head, and the Lord will reward you. And in Matthew 5, he goes even further. You've heard the law say, love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I say, Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. In that way, you will be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. For he gives his sunlight on both the evil and the good, and he sends his rain on the just and the unjust alike. But how do we do this? What are we doing? Well, throughout... Jesus' writings, he asks us to be intentional. Intentional about the way that we think about ourselves. Intentional about the way that we think about others. Love can be little things or big things. It can be picking up your clothes off of your floor because you know it really ob- is really obnoxious to your roommate. Or it could be Buying furniture for a family who is moving into a new home. Or it could be allowing, you know, allowing your child to talk about their new Minecraft world, even though they've talked about it four times and you really don't care. But they feel loved when they're listened to. It could be taking the time to listen to someone you disagree with, because you might find something new, or it might just be worth taking the time to be patient enough to hear them. But in all of this, we need to remember, even when we're asked to do terribly difficult things, that we have an attitude we can bring towards it, because gratitude opens the door for hope. And hope, when fulfilled, brings joy. And joy fills us, and we should overflow with love. And now I hope you know a little bit more about love. But I wouldn't be a good Bible nerd if I didn't give you my citations. So if you want to learn more about this topic, I highly suggest going to, and yes, all the people in my Bible study don't groan, The Bible Project, is a website it's a youtube channel they're a great resource for becoming your own bible nerd which is something that god calls us all to as we should all be knowledgeable and interested in learning about him and his word so they have word topics on ahava and agape and if you'd like to you can go on youtube and look up love is not a black hole which is a sermon by tim Mackey, the head theologian of the bible project and i highly recommend it to all of you I hope you all have a wonderful day.
0: Thank you for listening. If you'd like more information on our church, visit us online at arborbridgechurch.com.